In our breakout and best-selling book, Looking for Angels, A Guide to Understanding and Connecting with Angels, Dr. Scott Guerin and I share how you can communicate with angels, understand signs from the universe and these celestial beings, feel at peace knowing you are always connected to source, and much more. Get your copy today at lookingforangelsbook.com, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your local bookstore. And now you can even get the audio version narrated by me and Scott through Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Hi, all. Nicole here. This podcast is intended to inspire you on your personal spiritual journey to inner peace. I am not a psychologist or a medical doctor and do not offer any professional health or medical advice. This applies to the podcast guests and or co-hosts. If you are suffering from a psychological or medical condition, please seek help from a qualified health professional. You are listening to A Psychic Story, a podcast that shares behind-the-scenes insights of people who lead supernatural lives among the ordinary. And I'm your host, Nicole Bigley. Join me every Wednesday as I dispel the myths behind magic and lore. Welcome to A Psychic Story. Mysticism. Hi, Psychic listeners. Welcome to another episode of A Psychic Story. And for this episode, we have Samantha Rosso. She is a spiritual medium animal communicator, and her purpose is to awaken people's intuitive gifts and abilities through the lens of the animal. She believes animals are our biggest teachers. They can't hide anything and are always mirroring our inner world through their behaviors. Welcome to the show, Samantha. Thank you, Nicole. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. So please tell me a little bit about, you know, what your first spiritual, supernatural, paranormal experience was like. I'm going to turn it over to you and then we'll get into the topic, humanization of animals. Yeah. So the first thing that comes to mind always is kind of what we talked about a little bit when we first had our conversation is I was always scared of the witch in Snow White, the movie. And that to me, when I I was, I was probably like five or six years old. And I was always scared that there was someone in my room. But of course, at that point, I never understood what all of this meant. I never had the support. It was always something that was scary and that I shouldn't go into. And I always say when you're so scared of something, there's probably something there that you, you should look at. And so that is the first thing that, you know, I always love to kind of bring up. And then my first real experience with the supernatural, I would say, was when I lived in LA and we were moving. We were we didn't know where we were going. And at night I would just feel like there was someone again in the room. It was always a feeling that there was something happening in there. It was funny because it's always a room and it was always at night, which I think we all tend to fear darkness at night as well, which has always now is a thread in my life with animals, which we'll kind of touch on a little later. And it got to a point where I, I I had to do something about it because it was just kind of, I was like, what is, I can't sleep. Someone's touching me. 
uh, keep waking up at night. I feel like someone's in the room. And so that's when I kind of went and spoke to my people that I kind of knew in this world and got talking to a medium that was very, very old, like 890 elderly woman. And she told me that there was someone in in my room. And that was yeah my first real kind of, wow, okay, this is real. This is something I should probably pay attention to and start diving into because clearly I'm I'm picking up on things here. And who was the person or the thing that was in your room? Yeah. So if I remember correctly, goodness, it's probably been like eight years or so. It was a woman that wanted to just pass by. I mean, it was also a, a male person as well, I remember, that just, they just wanted to kind of like hang around and linger around. It was, you know, nothing... Um, scary or the you know malicious or anything like that that we kind of again tend to hear in movies and stories I mean I know that I did when I was younger and that's how I came to fear all of these things and again it's that unknown is the fear of not knowing that makes us so petrified and ultra scared of everything and did she teach you or did she talk to them and help them kind of move on or did she teach you to do it and then you did it yeah so she did it and you know, I I asked her, how do I do this? How do I tell them to go away? And when she told me it was a simple thing as just ask them to leave. Just ask them, what do you want? What do you need? And by the way, can you leave me alone, please? Yeah. Yeah. When she said that, I I kind of was a little perplexed. Like, what do you mean just ask them to leave? Because again, it's the unseen. And when we don't see something, we like, is it really real? You know, there's always that doubt kind of. Yeah. And, And then after that, it was fine. And We didn't have any issues, but it's interesting because, again, we're moving out of this house and there's activity going on. So it's it's an interesting thing every time you move or there's an extra energy present. And then you also mentioned in kind of like the Q&A that I send ahead of time that you had felt a presence when you lived in Brazil at your family's ranch and that that was kind of so. Can you share a little bit about that with the listeners? Yes. Oh, my goodness. So. This experience, I was in a car and I was with my grandmother, which is really kind of like my second mom. And she has always been into religion and specifically Christianity. And I was with my cousin, her, we were in the car and we were leaving a restaurant. And I felt the presence of my uncle, which I only met when I was about one or two years old. So I don't even really remember him. And I felt that he was there. And at that time, I was about seven years old. And when I share, had shared it with everyone in the car, my grandmother and my cousin had also felt him there. And but we were not we, you know, we didn't even they didn't even say anything. So that was really yeah, that was really my kind of there's been so many, I think, that it, you, know, you just forget. But yeah, that was a really beautiful experience and really profound to me. So were your grandmother and aunt and others in your family very open to this and have additional experiences? It sounds like it. So my grandmother is really the only one that was open to all of this. My mom as well. But again, it was more through the lens of Christianity, which the more I learn about religion, there's just so many connections that, you know, and I think I've come to have a different perspective on religion because it's so similar. It it really is. Yeah. There's a lot of underlying foundational elements that bridge. There's some commonalities, right, across the various 
primary main religions in the world, you know, whether you're Catholic or you're Muslim or what have you, there's definitely a lot of similarities that kind of overlap. And the basis is the same, right? That there's a faith in something bigger than yourself, but that we're connected to it and that we can, you know, be guided by that higher sense. Exactly. So then how did you start to work with animals? What was that shift like for you? The biggest shift that happened, so animals were always kind of a common thread in my life, having the family ranch in Brazil. And as we moved, you know, I left I left Brazil when I was seven, went to live in Asian Europe. I was always horse riding. Horses were always part of my life. And it wasn't until I moved to Utah that I got my first wolf dog, Gaia. And after only a year, I had to put her down. And so that whole experience was really, well, it taught me a lot about death, about letting go, about the relationship with the animal kingdom and nature as humans. And that's when I did my pivoting towards only working with animals. It was kind of a push after she passed. It was, it was very clear, Sam, you need to be helping animals and humans and be bridging that gap and be working with the nonverbal communication that animals teach us and that we haven't developed as humans, which is, you know, it's very similar to intuition, of course, but animals are so direct. And that's kind of where I made my transition. When you had the experience with your dog and the passing, if you don't mind sharing a little bit, what was it about that connection? Because I too have had to, unfortunately, you know, make the decision to put animals down. And it's a very loving decision and spiritual experience. And I can only speak for myself, but I'm sure obviously there was something that probably happened with that connection for you that let you know, and and like you said, pivot you a little bit more into working with animals and humans. Yeah, agreed with everything. Very profound experience that is pretty challenging to put into words. It, it, it's like you can feel it, but then you can be there for the person who did it, but it's it's kind of hard to really no, unless you've experienced it. Very intimate experience. So when I first met Gaia, I always, I, I knew that there was something different about her. When she stepped into our house, I felt her presence. I was scared of her as a two-month-old puppy. I mean, that's, who's scared of a two-month-old puppy? And she just had this, this different presence, this, this different energy that I, didn't know how to put into words. And as time kind of went by, she started to get, that energy started to get more and more intense. And what I mean by more intense, it was more wild. We would go out on trails and she would start hunting as a two-month-old. She would always check in with me. She was never trained to check in with me. Whilst my other Yorkies just plowing forward and not <laughs> caring at all about me. And then when she was about three or four months old, she was hunting and we were out and about and she killed a squirrel and ate it all up. And at that moment, I have a video of it. I, something, it was just something in me. And again, it was my, it was guidance from my spirit guides that said, hey, there's something, you know, there's something different here. You're you're going to have to start looking at this connection and this relationship from a kind of a different angle. And the first message that came through was, could she kill my other dogs? And so I kind of sat with that message and kept going, living my life as I normally would. And I could tell she she 
got, again, the energy started intensifying, intensifying to the point where she would tell me if another dog left the house um, and be barking. She would alert me if I was upset or a little bit unbalanced emotionally. She would come to me, be in my heart, start kind of, you know, acting differently. And it wasn't until she was about, I think about a year oldish, 11 months, 12, that she started getting aggressive. And my Yorkie, so we would give food to them every day together. And it was never a problem. It was never an issue. And one time we did that and my Yorkie went in to get some of her food and she just grabbed her by the neck and started shaking her. And that whole thing, that experience was, I don't think I've ever felt so, it was almost like a violation or a, I can't, yeah, I can't quite put into words. And from that moment onward, it just started getting, again, more and more intense. And we had another husky and on Sundays, every Sunday for four weeks, she would get into a fight with my other husky. And granted, there was no fighting before. Every dog she met, it was, you know, friendly. Was it because more because she was a wild animal that was like part true wild animal and then domesticated species? And that hybrid aspect is what she was instinctually tapping into more because it hadn't been really reprogrammed out of her? Yes. That's that's exactly what it was. And also, when you asked me what made that shift kind of for you to go into the animal world, it was almost her telling me, hey, you, you're not paying attention here or there's so much trauma from your past and from being able to really do this work that she also helped me kind of go through that. And I find that her death was a way for her to also clear that out for me as well. And I know that sounds a little maybe too woo or whatever you want to say, you know, some people, but I I will say that after her death, that is when I really stepped into being able to fully call myself a medium and a psychic and do readings. And, And whilst I was doing those readings, it was like, wow, everything that's coming through is just it's shocking me. Like, wow, I, I can do this? Oh my goodness. You know, it was it was perplexing to me. And so it wasn't even something that I tried to do or I learned. You know, I never took a course. I never took a certification. I never learned from anybody. It was my my life's experience and teachings and then her coming into my life that just activated, I think, that which was always within me. Mm-hmm. And what you say, I'm getting chills as you say it, is it's important for people to hear because I've had some feedback where people have said, hey, can you have some guests on that are a little bit more relatable that aren't like so woo-woo and all of this? And I think that, you know, the answer to that is we're all in different stages of our lives and our spiritual journey. And while some people may quote unquote have more profound experiences like a near-death experience and come back or what have you with you, it was a connection with another soul and an energy that was in a different physical form through, you know, the dog and the wolf that allowed you to connect and then you're self-taught, right? You trained yourself and that can be the path for a lot of people. People don't necessarily have to go and get certifications and trainings and all that stuff. Yes, it's nice in some cases, but the fact is, is that we all have it within ourselves to be able to do this regardless of what it is we choose that quote unquote doing is, right? Exactly. Yes. I'm getting goosebumps as well. And something actually that they're just sharing is 
I tried to get a certification, but it never, I tried several times, but nobody would get back to me. You know, I sent emails and followed up and nobody would get back to me. So I was like, you know what? I'm not meant to do this. Like my life is supposed to be my teacher. And and it's important for us. I, I think this is a really special thing to nail down is our experiences are so unique and it helps us kind of realize like, hey, if we're not in our experience, then where are we even, you know? And I think we're always wanting to get outside of ourselves to find the answer and our experiences are helping us find the answer. But we just have to. It's that present of being in the moment that reflection of self, we say it all the time, but going inward and people wonder, what does that mean going inward? And that is, how do you feel? What are the things that you want to express? What is happening around you? Not as much, but how you're reacting to it and why you're reacting the way you are. And then that allows you to do that self-reflection to go within. Exactly. And so to just kind of go back for a moment when Gaia passed and then you decided, okay, and you had this, that self-realization and that conscious awareness of this is what I need to do to understand that connection more and work with animals. And as you said, you try to find certifications and then you were self-taught. How did you take those next steps and what did those look like as far as either with your personal life and or starting to work with animals? Yeah, it's funny because, you know, I will, I'll just say how it is. I finally kind of took the courage to put myself out there and offer readings for $45 for 30 minutes, $45. Like, hey, you want to do this? And I remember my first ever reading with this young girl and her dog, shepherd dog, Border Collie. And it was, again, it, it surprised me that I was just, you know, I just went in with no expectation, with no it was, I always say, I af- after every reading, I never know how I'm going to do this again. <laughs> I'm always like, how am I going to do this again? Sometimes it's your ego does get in the way because you're like, oh, that was so amazing. Can I do it again? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so I went in without any, any expectations, asked for, you know, her guides to step forward, her animal to step forward. And it was over a phone call. And we, you know, we had a beautiful exchange of kind of energies the things that needed to kind of be said right now for her at that moment. And that was my first step to feeling like, wow, okay, I need to be doing this for more people. I need to, this is actually a serious thing. This isn't just like a fun and games, you know, animal fun, even though it is. And so after that, I started to dive more into animal behavior and especially because of the aggression that Gaia kind of showed me. And I said, wait a second, if, I, if I'm going to be a proficient animal communicator here, I need to learn about animal behavior and where animals come from, especially domestic animals. And I mainly focused on wolves, on the equine, wild horses. And feline, it's interesting because I always say that they're not very domestic. They're very feral animals. <laughs> so I you know, read books, observed. I did a lot of just observations, kind of went around and just sat down in a park, observed dogs, observed. In Utah here, we have wild horses. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's very close to where I live. It's two hours away, the the range. And just observed how animals, again, reacted and how they lived, really, along with books and my meditations every day. And that's kind of how I continued my my journey and did readings and learned from the readings and started to understand 
my energy, my clients' energies, how that impacted the reading. I found, you know, sometimes I would be like, why is this reading different than the other reading? Why do I, why am I getting more information with this person? And, you know, kind of had a inner conflict of, am I doing something wrong here? Am I, you know, not waking up in the right, the right side of the bed with this, (laughs) this day with this reading? And come to, came to understand that it really wasn't about me. I think, yes, we need to be in a certain headspace, right? And be balanced and take care of ourselves and be nourished in order to do this work. But I also think that we're simply the the channel to to receiving what wants to be received at that given moment. I This is how I practice my work. You know, it's very challenging to dissect readings with, that's why I have human and animal readings, because it's really what wants to come forward at the time. And it's not that we have to try to do anything. It's just, can we receive? And what's what's here will be received by the other person in however shape and form they are receiving it. Long-winded answer. Yeah, no, no, it's very true. And I think sometimes it also depends on how open the other person is too. And it's not even really open. It's sometimes their grief can block them and or other emotions and feelings. And so I found that not putting the pressure on either the person that's giving you the reading or yourself. And that's why I love you know doing the work that I do too, is when people say, well, what comes through? Whatever's for my best and highest good, because you're absolutely right. It can be, it surprised me sometimes what messages and who comes through. Not that I really should be surprised anymore, but just in matter of the intention and the focus, right? Right. Exactly. Yes. Agree. So humanization of animals, what does that mean to you? How did, with the work that you've been doing, both energetically and spiritually, and then the animal behavior aspect of it, why is that an important topic and what have you learned? Yeah, so big topic, which we could go on for hours and hours. So I'm going to try to put it in a nutshell. The way I look at and how I say it, the humanization of animals is putting our, our stuff onto our animals. And what that means is if we lack something within ourselves, say, for example, we are not really confident in this aspect of our lives. We feel a little taken aback by certain people or certain situations, or you know, we're lacking confidence somewhere in our lives. And then we find that our animal is also lacking confidence. And so then we go and teach and train and help our animals to be confident. And so that is the humanization that I'm kind of touching on is, can we look at how we're behaving in the world, how we're having relationships with everything around us before we actually say, hey, you know, why are you not confident here? Why are you reacting to this thing? Why are you shy here? Why are you not being friendly with this and this dog? When in reality, well, am I being friendly with people? Am I respecting people's boundaries? Am I confident in this aspect of my life? Because our animals take on. In some cases, they have their own very distinct personalities and souls and all of that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's They take on the role and sometimes they mirror it. Or also from what I've been able to understand, they take on that part of ourselves. So for example, if you have a really protective animal or pet, and maybe because you feel fearful, so they're either they may be fearful as well, or they may go ahead and take that role on for you. So it's again, it's that mirror. It's either it's a part of who you are and how you're expressing yourself and may not realize it. But then also it feels fills a gap. They fill a gap sometimes energetically and emotionally for us to make up for that. Exactly. 
Yes. So what other things have you learned through the humanization of animals? Like what can we do? I I remember one time somebody told me, and it broke my heart when I was first learning that our animals are our best healers. So we don't realize that they're actually healing us sometimes. And I was like, oh no, I don't want them to take on my pain. I don't want them to take on these things. Like, you know, so that was eye-opening for me, but that's also part of that symbiotic relationship that we have with them. I don't know if you've experienced that or if there's some other things that you wanted to kind of share about animals and what we can be doing. Yes, yes. I love that. Many clients, in fact, a majority of the people in which I come in contact with are vegans or vegetarians. And it's this it's this interesting guilt that we take on that we can't feel any bad or they can't feel a bad emotion or if they feel a bad emotion, if they're upset or angry or hurt, that it's negative and that we should eliminate that and fix that. And of course, we want our animals to feel good and be healthy and all of that, just like we want ourselves to. But I think that there's, again, they teach us that we can feel denser emotions, that sadness is okay, that being angry or upset is okay. And that's part of life. Like we don't have to eliminate it. And I, we sometimes feel as though we need to solve whatever it is that we're going through that's a little heavier than maybe, you know, what we'd expect. And animals don't have expectations. They just exist with what's here. And that to me is just so wonderful to tap into because when we see an animal suffering, when we see them hurting, they're, they're just, they're there. They're not doing breath work or meditation or body work or massage. Of course, we can give them that and Reiki and all of that. But I think that that's something that they really do teach us. And an important aspect for us to kind of look at because we sometimes don't know how to handle our emotion. The other piece with all of this too is that animals, what I found throughout my work is that not every animal is going to want to do that for you, right? So of course here we're just kind of generalizing quote unquote or we're, we're kind of, you know, for example, my dog Cash, he's a husky and he doesn't take on my things. He, he actually doesn't want to have anything to do with the human world. He's like, please save me from all of this. He's in his own existence. Exactly. He's in his own existence and he lives his life and is very adamant about it and doesn't want to take anything on. And so I found with, with each animal, it's such a unique experience. And like you said, it you know they have a soul, they have a body, they have a mind, and that's all interrelated to create who they are and what they came here to do, their purpose and how they're going to navigate this life. So I find that with certain animals, we have maybe a deeper lesson to learn. And with other animals, we are here to caretake for them in a different way than maybe we would with the animal that we have more of a deeper connection or a deeper lesson to learn because they want to be our teachers, right? So with my dog Cash, we have a mutual agreement that I rescued him and I'm here to just take care of him, for him to live this lavish life where he doesn't have to worry about human stuff. With my other Vida, who's a Yorkie, she is here to be a little bit more involved in my life and play a little bit more of a of a bigger role. So it's it's very interesting like that. And that's what makes it so fascinating because they all have their different characteristics, purpose, roles to play. And it's really up to us to tap in and uh, listen. I always say with animals, if there's anything we're doing is becoming professional listeners. Oh, I love that. 
I'm going to have to borrow that. Yeah. When I first started with my Reiki, I had the, actually the whole experience with my Reiki and why I got my certification was because of my cat. She had multiple personalities. The short version is, is that I had rescued her. She had gone through a lot of trauma. I was doing a lot of things and I couldn't actually help her the way as a pet parent, you normally would. So I did do the Reiki and through that, she just had this miraculous healing and bye-bye split personalities. And it was so amazing to watch. And so as a result, I wanted to get my certification and learn more, not for other people at the time, but for my animals and for myself. And through that, I ended up attuning her. I asked her and I ended up attuning my other cat. So when I was doing Reiki on myself, family members, and at some point other people, they would actually help me. And I haven't attuned any of my other pets since then because they haven't been interested in that, right? So it's interesting, like you said, to see and hear why certain animals come into our lives. What are those experiences that we're co-creating with them and also, you know, that they are needing from us? I had a question for you that came in that somebody else had asked me. I have my own opinion, but wanted to hear yours. Animals as soulmates, right? And what is that like? And also, can animals have the souls that are in animals have been human souls at some point? I love that question. Yeah. So, so guys coming in and yes. I do believe that we can have animals as soulmates. Also, again, what what they're saying is humans tend to get so hung up on words, right? And so it's just this thing of like soulmate. It's just there. Again, it exists, right? And we just have to see, okay, what what is that existence? What does that entail? And so to me, that soulmate relationship with Gaia was one where we were in sync with everything. She knew what I was going through. I knew what she was going through. There was no conflict. There was no doubt. There was no questioning. I looked at her. She looked at me. We were, it it was just a a visceral body felt experience that undeniable. I think the word is like an undeniable connection. And the other thing that's coming in is you're both kind of helping each other through things, I think. Gaia did so much for me and with my trauma and helping me really step into this role of working with animals. But I also helped her with ending this kind of suffering of, wait, am I a domestic animal or am I a wild animal? Like, how does this thing work? Right. Which I have my whole other opinion about hybrid wolf and domestic canines. So would love to hear your opinion, too, if you want to dive in. But I know there's so much we could be talking about. It's hard, you know, to be in a body where you're, wait a second, I'm I'm actually a wolf, but I'm also domestic. So how do I, where do I go about here? What's the, you know, it brings about a lot of duality and a lot of conflict. So I helped her with that too, because she didn't want to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't had it. Well, actually, no, I, I did. When I was growing up, I had my parents had a half wolf, half German shepherd dog. His name was Bud. And he taught me how to walk. And that dog was so in sync, so intelligent and very protective. And there was a lot of more instincts, I would say that, and it was through the police force that my, my parents had gotten him. It wasn't like they necessarily went to, he just wasn't quote unquote high performing enough. And so they, you know, discarded him. And so my parents adopted him and took him, you know, in. And so it was one of those situations where, you know, things like that happen. Right. And I think it's the, 
the, our ability and our need to kind of understand whether it's a human, whether it's an animal, where that person or soul is experiencing things in their life and that we do have instincts as human beings, as animal beings, whatever you want to call it. But then we're also connected energetically, spiritually. And so with that, it is going to be up to each of us and whoever is in or whomever's in our lives to support and understand where we are in that process. And I think animals also tend to help us, like you were saying earlier, connect with a piece of ourselves and remind us of where we came from and that it is about existing and being present and experiencing the things that we have in our lives. So that's kind of what I was getting. Yes. Yes, I agree. Yeah, that that was the piece of the question I didn't really touch on. But I always say our definitely an animal can that's in this lifetime now could have lived a previous lifetime as a human. And that is part of their ability to be so intellectual and instinctual and intuitive because they've lived this human experience for sure. But again, it's it's understanding that it doesn't really matter. You know, it's what's here and what's what can we feel today? Because again, we also tend to go back and then we also tend to go so forward or and get to that like very ethereal space, which it's beautiful, but it can kind of remove us from what's actually happening. Yeah. And I totally agree with you too, that sometimes as humans, we tend to want to define things so much more. But I think the reason why we try and do that is sometimes we can't put it into words. So why do we maybe have a stronger connection with a person or an animal? And we want to understand that deeper meaning to it. And sometimes we may have had experiences with them before, or we just have a deeper bond for whatever reason. And so that's why the quote unquote soulmate part comes in. I definitely have had pets. I wouldn't call them my favorites necessarily, but that there's a deeper bond because of whatever I was going through or they were going through at the time. And we lived those life lessons kind of together, those life experiences, I should say, together. And so when somebody asked me about the soulmate and also if it was if it also could have been a child in a past life, because there are a lot of fur parents out there right? I'm one of them. And I asked and my guides and angels and said, okay, is this possible? Are human souls able to be actual animal souls and vice versa? And they said, absolutely. Energy's energy. We don't necessarily need to define and distinguish and all of that. And the reason for it, because then the next question was, okay, well then why? Why are they coming as an animal and not as a human? And it's because I've made the choice to not have kids in this lifetime. So those souls or energetic beings that are going to assist me and vice versa in this lifetime are going to come in the way that they need to come in because spirit knows no bounds, right? So that's kind of what I was told. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It's just amazing how it works, you know, that sometimes we forget all these amazing things that happens. So what other things would you like to cover off on, you know, the the humanization of animals and the things that maybe we can take from them, right? And or trying to understand them a little bit more. Yeah, I think that something that's coming up right now is the ways in which we train animals, I think is a big one. It's even been coming up the last few weeks. There's a tendency to train because if, if we think about training and, and the energy behind training, it's it's really got to do with helping an animal survive and coexist in this experience. Because if we actually also think of animal as the energy of just animal, it's animalistic, it's wild, it's not civilized, it's not bound by these things that we have on planet Earth. 
if you look at a puppy and a child, it's very similar energy. They're, they're everywhere. They're doing a thousand million things at the same time. There's no boundaries. There's no structure. So training is really providing us with the structure to be able to live with this animal safely, right? Because a lot of concerns of a lot of owners is, I want to be safe with my dog walking around. I want to be safe mounting on my horse and going for a trail ride. And so I think it's important to, and I invite everyone that's listening to consider when you think of training your animal, your dog, you know, whatever, whatever animal that may be, can you pause for a moment and just consider what are, what are you wanting to do here? Are you trying to fix a problem? And if you are, can you take a look at what the problem is? Or a perceived problem. Yeah, exactly. My biggest one is I just don't want them to go inside my house. And they may not understand that they're not supposed to. Exactly. But like you said, there's a structure and a, or construct where I'm teaching them, I don't like this behavior. I don't want the the poop and pee in my home, our home, it's not hygienic, go outside. And it's not really a problem as much as it's instinct for them. Exactly. I love that you mentioned that because a lot of the times with readings, you know, there's all these challenges. Why does my dog pee on the couch? Why does my dog do this? Why? And of course, there's always a reason. But a lot of the times, it's it's not a, it's not the problem or the animal isn't actually suffering, right? So again, it's always to do with us. And I'm not saying it's wrong to want to create structures because it's it's needed we have otherwise you know there's there's no other way and and our animals are okay with that you know domestic animals have a consensual understanding somewhat that you know that we have to kind of set some structures and some boundaries i think what i'm just getting at here is can we be a little bit more intentional about what we're doing with the training because then we can actually form this holistic relationship that's actually based on understanding and respect versus, oh, I'm your boss, you know, I'm your the or or not your boss, but I'm your I'm your owner and you must kind of obey what I say and you must follow these rules and all of that. I think that a shift that I've made throughout these years is I'm no one's owner. Right. This I'm not the owner of my animal. I'm its guardian. I'm an animal have it has its own sovereignty, its own ability to make choices, but they can't make those choices if we don't give them the space to do so, right? And I think if we placed our awareness, because maybe people are like, okay, well, what does that look like? What do I have to do, right? Like all the practical things. You don't have to do so much. It's just, can you place your awareness towards what's going on? And just by doing that, you've already created the space to have a conversation with your animal and have a relationship that's based on understanding and respect. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about that because I've had a couple people on very first episode, Sonia Fitzpatrick, which I'm sure you're familiar with her. She's like the original pet communicator, as well as some other people since, since then. And they all have pretty much the same type of approach as far as communicating with our animals. And my take on it is it's telepathy. We're all telepathic. We receive information in some ways differently if you are a highly emotional person or empathetic, you are going to feel the emotions pr primarily. If you are more visual, I'm also very visual, meaning that's how I learn. I see things in my mind, almost like movies, and so it plays. Some people are auditory, right? So there's all the different ways that you may be able to receive information psychically or intuitively or telepathically, whatever you want to call it. But that's primarily how our animals communicate with each other and with us. 
right? Is that it's through the telepathy and then it's just being able to start to kind of tap in, okay, well, how are you, the person, the human receiving and then which way you want to kind of project and share the information. So can you maybe walk a little bit through what that looks like and how you communicate and then maybe how you share with your clients that they can do it with their with their animals? Yes, yes. Love that question. Exactly like you said, we're all so unique and different that we receive information differently depending on, you know, our I quote unquote strongest extrasensory perception, I call it. And so just like you, visual for me is a big one. And words are now coming up lately. Specific, very specific words are coming up that I would never utilize on a day-to-day basis. So I know that that's kind of, okay, you know, here we are. That's the mess. And the way in which I receive is, again, it's it's asking, simply asking and and being open to receiving what's here. I always say it's interesting because if we try to do it, we probably won't receive anything. But if we allow ourselves to ask and then you know, close our eyes, start tuning into our breaths and see what's coming up, what's, you know, even if it's the most random thing or, you know, a pair of shoes, oh, I don't know, a yellow sun, stop sign, whatever that is, that's what you need to be paying attention to because the way that messages are received are in pieces. They're, they're bullet points. Animals are bullet points. <laughs> yes, exactly. Literally direct like this. Okay, now the other and now the other and now the other. And so if you start to pay attention to the little visuals that you receive, words, feelings, sensations of your body, then you can start to piece together the story and what they're actually saying. And I also, you can have a conversation with the other person or to ask them, right? So it's like if you're confused as to why you received a stop sign, what would you like me to know about the stop sign? Is there some, right? So it's like having continuously asking what else is there. Um, and also if you're reading for someone or if you're having a conversation or you, you know, want to try this out with a friend, you can always ask, hey, I received this. Did you ever this or this or the other, right? So it's asking questions. I, I always approach my readings and my sessions like that because again, like you said, we all interpret information so differently. And and sometimes I'll receive something that maybe you didn't receive because that's just dependent on our, you know, our bodies, our energies at the time. And it's okay to have a dialogue and a conversation. You're not supposed to know the whole, you know, picture of everything. And this is not a guessing game either. I think a lot of people tend to think that this is kind of, you know, guessing kind of thing when it's really not. I think in the beginning for people, it may be a little bit of a guessing game because they're trying, because they're trying to interpret, right? Or figure out what that is. But yeah. And I know everybody's different. We just talked about that, but I have found that some of the best ways for people when you're interested in communicating with your animals is to think of something in your mind and picture it because your animal processes things if they can see visually or think about what they may hear. And if you can, and then picture kind of sending that information to them. So they either receive it in their mind or they hear it in their ears. If, again, if that, if they can receive visually and auditorily. And then if not, then how they may have a physical sensation, basically kind of putting your animal hat on and how would they be perceiving and receiving that information is how you should probably start to kind of look to package it to send it to them. The, I don't know if you follow, this is an amazing pet human and, and pet parent relationship is the Instagram account, What About Bunny? And it's a dog. Yeah, it's a dog that this woman created 
a board and each board has a verbal cue. So outside, love, bunny, mom, right? So she started and created this board and it was on Netflix's The Life of Pets. And so there's one episode there, but it's just amazing because there's so much intuition in these videos and how she communicates with the pet, but then also seeing her respond, Bunny the dog. That's how, going back to the bullet points, our animals communicate with us is they send us a message and information and they're expecting us to just get it quick hits. It's not this long about, so how was your day? All right, I'm going on. They're not conversational. They just, they want, because they're living in the moment, like you were saying, they're present so much. It's like, okay, I'm hungry. I want to go outside. I love you. I want to hug. I'm not, my my tummy doesn't feel very well, right? That's, that's how they communicate. So anyway, I just wanted to share that. Yeah, no, that's lovely. I'll have to check that out. That sounds amazing. Bunnies are so intelligent. Yeah, no, it's a dog, but her name is Bunny. Oh, it's a dog. It's like, I think she's one of those poodle, big poodle mixes. Not mixes, but the big ones, you know, which is actually, yeah, anyway. So yeah, it's it's an amazing thing. I'll make sure to link to it in the show notes. All right. Well, thank you again so much for being on. I'll be sure to include your website, your Instagram for the time being. And then once you're, you know, you have your podcast launched, I will be sure to update the show notes with that as well. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for listening to A Psychic Story. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and join the conversation on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. All episodes are free on your favorite podcast player or at apsychicstory.com. Have a question? Is there a topic you'd like to hear more about or have a suggestion for a future guest? Send an email to contact at apsychicstory.com or leave a voicemail message at 1-800-880-1881. We'd love to hear from you and you may even be featured on a future episode. If you're interested in booking a session with me, you can do that directly on the website. And if you want to hear even more content hosted by yours truly, check out my other show, Supernatural Matters. Reminder that you are automatically entered to win either a free 20-minute intuitive or energy healing session with me if you leave five stars along with a positive review. Currently, reviews can be left on Apple, Stitcher, Podchaser, or CastBox podcast players. Don't forget to email contact at a psychicstory.com when you do, because it allows me to get in touch with you if your name is pulled in the drawing. Your name stays in until you win.